We're finishing out the series today, and we've been talking through the pastoral epistles, the letters that Paul wrote to individuals who were pastoring and leading churches during the New Testament times of the the start of the church. So today we're going to be talking through the book of Titus. And you say, Pastor, are you really going to be able to cover an entire book of the Bible in 32 minutes? I'm going to try, okay? Um, we're going to, it's a short book, but it's got a big punch to it. And so, um, in his short letter, Paul covers a lot of ground and we're not going to cover every verse today, but we're going to focus on one of the themes that's in Titus. And that is this theme of church health. So today we're talking about the healthy church and what that looks like. I want to remind you, and we've said this for a long time, and I I hope that you have these words cemented in your mind, but context deepens your understanding of the content. You've got to remember that every time that you come to God's word. You need to do more than just open it up at 7 a.m. on a Monday morning, point to a verse, read it, and walk out the door. You really do need to dive deep into the Word of God. And sometimes that requires us to look outside of the Word of God for additional context. So um, we're going to be looking at some, some interesting things today in the context of what happened between Paul and Titus. And what Paul is telling him has, has, bears a lot of weight. So Paul and Titus had completed a mission on an island. Somebody say, yes, Lord, call me to the islands, Jesus. Um, They had finished a mission on an island called Crete. You'll hear that throughout scripture. It's today known as a different name, but it's the largest of the Grecian islands. It's part of Greece. It sits in the Mediterranean Sea about 100 miles south of the mainland of Greece. So if you can imagine, if, you, if we were to look at a map right now, Italy's boot would be over here, Greece is here, and about 100 miles south of Greece would be this island. So they've made a missionary journey at some point during their ministry to be there, and it was a successful mission. But Titus has been left behind by Paul intentionally in order to help establish these new believers and get them organized into a thriving, functioning church. So Paul is writing to urge Titus in his mission, and he lays out some key issues that really need to be addressed for any church that wants to be healthy and wants to be vibrant or thriving and full of life. So we're going to talk about those four things that I see in the book of Titus today uh, that are in a couple different passages there in, in those three short chapters. But Paul has some key concerns, really, um, for establishing these churches, and we're going to talk about that. Let me give you a little bit more context about this place called Crete. Crete was a place that was known for its moral decadence, over-the-top moral decadence. In fact, Polybius which was a historian way back when, he says this, and we'll put the quote on the screen for you, about Crete. He says, It's impossible to find personal conduct more treacherous or a public policy more unjust than in Crete. This is strong language from a non-believer talking about the history of this place. 
during those days and at that time. Do you see anything in that that might sound like it slightly resembles America at this point? He goes on to say this. He says, So much, in fact, do sordid love of gain and lust for wealth prevail among them that the Cretans are the only people in the world whose eyes no, in whose eyes no gain is disgraceful. So there's a point to what he's saying, and if you do a little bit of study during those, during those times, in fact, they were more than happy and actually considered piracy honorable. If you were a thief and got it because you stole it, then I'm applauding you because you're, you're good at what you do and you got what you, what you wanted. They literally had no moral compass in this place and an island unto themselves. So this gives you a little bit of understanding of what Paul's about to tell Titus because these Cretans were ruthless. In fact, we have a, a phrase in American language that we say, oh, he's such a Cretan. So here's a little bit of context so you know what that really looks like and means. But they were ruthless and it's crazy to think that even they thought that piracy, being a pirate, was an honorable job. So Paul says this in Titus chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to look there. He says this, One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, and he quotes him, Cretans are always liars. Gosh, what a list. Evil beasts and lazy gluttons. Again, does this sound like America? Okay, sorry. Moving on. The fact that these churches, though, there's a church being built and there's believers on this island. They're living in a very immoral society. And we may just look at this and think, oh, wow, you know, wow, I'm so glad Titus really worked through all of that. But we need to understand there's something to apply to us today because the society in which we live is immoral and it's increasing every day. So Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Could we say the same thing about people that we know here in America? Absolutely. So it's more relevant today than maybe we give credit to. And maybe you've never read the book of Titus, but today we'll, we'll go through the whole thing and see some interesting details. There are four key things that I want to bring out to you today from the book of Titus about being a healthy church. And these are the four things, and I'll give you a little bit more explanation for each, but it's my four points. And I, I use the word proper because I think that this is a good, um, a good significant way to see what Paul is doing. Paul writes and he tells Titus that a healthy church is supposed to have proper leadership, proper discipline, proper living, and proper doctrine. He says that these four things, and we're going to look in detail at each one of them, that they are important. So Titus chapter 1 verse 5, Paul tells Titus, and he says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So the first point is this, healthy churches have proper leadership. Two weeks ago, we talked about the character traits that are necessary that qualify you in order for you to be in church leadership. In verse 6 through 8 of chapter 1, Paul gives Titus a list of these traits, and we talked about it two weeks ago. The majority of what's mentioned, I want you to hear me and hear me well, 
have nothing to do with a job description or a gifting or a capability. The majority of things mentioned in Titus chapter 1, as well as what we talked about in 2 Timothy, are all having to do with character. So I want to know if I get hired at a new job, I want to know what's my job description. But here's the thing, if they're a smart company, they are judging my character in my interview as well as my experience in the past. Is that right? That's absolutely true. So here what Paul is telling him is that it's all about character. Good, godly character is essential. And after his list in verses 6 through 8, look at what verse 9 says. And we've already read those verses in previous weeks, so I'm not going to reread them. But verse 9 says this, They must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction, it says, in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. That last command definitely seems more challenging in today's environment than ever. I could give you instruction, and you can listen, and you can learn. But proper church leadership has a role to play in rebuking those who contradict the word of God. So we don't beat around the bush about it. We call it as we see it, and we clearly talk about those who might be false teachers or those things that might be leading us astray from the true and authentic gospel. A true shepherd warns the sheep about the wolves. Not just general warnings, but specific, clear warnings. And this is how pastors and leaders guard a flock. You say, well, I'm not a pastor or a leader, but you need to understand this is an expectation you should have of me. And it's an expectation because I know that we may not all be in the same room 10 years from now. You may move and relocate somewhere else and find a different church. I understand. And when you get there, you'd better understand these principles for leadership, spiritual leadership. Because shepherds have to feed the flock, but they've also got to fend off the foes. And this is very, very, very important. It's not something that I 100% have succeeded at at all times. I've neither always fed the flock faithfully or fended off the foes faithfully. But I dearly depend on God's grace and his Holy Spirit to guide me for those two job description pieces. And it's very, very important that we see that in our spiritual leaders. Pastors and leaders cannot fail To hold people accountable to the word of God. I know that this is anti-politically correct. And you know, when I say that, I think, you know, that's a whole lot of words that means this is correct. (laughs) Okay? And it's unpopular, but it's biblical. So, number two is this, moving right along. Healthy churches have proper discipline. Now, when we talk about discipline, don't think about uh, the discipline of eating healthy and choosing a, a good choice over a bad choice like that. Think in the idea or the understanding of discipline as in you discipline a child that disobeys and you move them forward to a goal of being progressively better than they were. This is what healthy churches should have. In verse 10 through 16, and we won't read that whole section, 
there were some in the Cretan church that were teaching false doctrine. And you can do some study and research about all the different weird things that were going on. And while elders had not yet been put in place in the church, those false teachers had already risen up. Isn't it just like the enemy to try to stop the work of God before it even gets started? So the situation that Titus finds himself in is pretty urgent in Paul's view. If I'm reading the word of God correctly, he's passionately trying to get him to understand that correcting error is necessary. You've got to do that as you are in a healthy church. So whose job is it to correct error? The person who sees the error. Maybe you should listen to me say that again. It's not just my job. That's what I'm trying to say to you. Proper discipline is a responsibility of all of us as believers. All of us. Now, it'll be accepted better if you're in relationship. And if you understand it's coming from a heart that's filled with love towards you and the grace of God. But correcting error is necessary. And Paul sees errors threatening the church. He sees stuff that's invading, being invasive in the church, and he's he's getting Titus to understand, you've got to be on guard. So he clearly and plainly calls it just like it is. You know, I think even a few weeks ago when we talked about false teachers, I think sometimes the temptation is for us to think, really, are there false teachers in the church today? (laughs) Really, that seems like that happened in the Bible days. Really, you know, pastor, there is a difference of opinion. I mean, they can, they can see it how they see. There might be differences of opinion in the body of Christ, but there is no difference in the truth that is present in God's word. So our methods may be different. The way that we process, the way that we even elect. I know of a church, a large, large church that I'm personal friends with people on staff there in New Jersey. And I know of that church and the way that they nominate or not nominate, but they vote board members in at a business meeting is the casting of lots. They literally pick straws out of it because it's in the Bible. God's blessed them as they've done that. They've honored what they believe they see. And that's great and fine and dandy. They've made sure that everybody's vetted before they go up to that final thing. But they see somewhere in scripture that that's what they did was cast lots. And they say, you know what? Then there's no better way for God to determine his will and show no favoritism than for us to put everybody's name in a hat and pick one out. Awesome. So that's different. That might be different than anything you've ever heard about how people vote for a board member. And that's okay. But there's no difference in the truth and the facts that are found in God's word. So we've got to be careful to separate opinion and fact. Um, Unfortunately, I think in today's day and age, what we've ended up doing is we've erred on the side of not offending people. And we've ended up offending God. I, I really do believe that. And the truth is, false teachers have been plaguing and attacking and invading the church since its inception, since the very beginning of the church. So what makes us think they would not be present today? They are. So I encourage you as your shepherd and you are sheep 
to be watchful and mindful, to make sure that things don't just sound good to you, but that they're backed up by the word of God in scripture. Amen. We'd be ignorant to think that they no longer exist today. Look at what Titus, what Paul tells Titus in Titus chapter three, verse nine through 11. Listen to this. He says, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions and quarrels about the law for they're unprofitable and worthless as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him knowing that such a person is warped and sinful he is self-condemned i had a very interesting conversation recently with a pastor friend of mine Something's going on in his church, and he seemed to be kind of thankful that it's happening and going on in his church. But it it involves people who are living in sin coming into the church and being welcomed into the church. And absolutely, we are inclusive. Come one, come all, come wherever you are, whatever life situation you've been in. But the truth and the reality is this. We are loved by God enough to not be allowed to remain the same. And the people sitting in these rows, in these chairs today, and those who are part of our family that are online, should love one another enough to call us to a higher place. Because after all, it's about Christ's character being developed inside of me. And if it's being developed inside of me, I ought to look different today than I did two weeks ago, two months ago, two years ago, 20 years ago. So we've got to get a hold of, I mean, Titus, this book is really, really powerful. This letter, this short letter that Paul writes. But here's what I wanted to say about correction. Correcting error is important and it's the fruit of authentic love. Uh, I run a team on my secular job in the business, in the workplace that I'm in. And uh, we hired some new people. And I have, you know, you've got tiers of workers and those who have most responsibility, less responsibility, and no responsibility, that kind of thing. And we had new workers uh, that just got hired because we're getting busier and busier. And one of the people with responsibility who's supposed to be manager when I'm not there, manager on duty kind of thing, um, was a little bit shy about handling a situation with a new employee. And I said, listen, (laughs) we got to stop this right now, today. Because we can't allow that to continue because today means tomorrow will look the same or even worse. And you say, really? Yes. And don't question whether I have authentic love for those that I work with. I do. But here's the idea. The idea is correct the error as soon as it pops up. I was asked in in an interview one time for a church pastorate. I was asked if you were... If you knew that you had been diagnosed with cancer and they told you you had a very short amount of time to live or you could extend your life by amputating the part that, you know, had the cancer, what would you choose to do? And I said, give me the saw. Hack it off. That's that's what needs to happen. When we see error, we need to be correcting of it the proper response to error in the church whether it's doctrine whether it's ethical or whether it's both mixed together is to act decisively 
We cannot, we truly cannot have a healthy church if we ignore disease. We can't. You can't have a healthy marriage if you ignore disease. You can't have a healthy body if you ignore disease. Literally, it's a principle that's in the universe for us and it applies to our spiritual life as well. So you've got to see this, the power of this. Having a healthy church means that we do not ignore disease, but we actually take care of it. And the way to do that is correction in love through the word of God. Number three is this. Healthy churches live properly. So this proper word keeps coming up, but live biblically is, a, is another way you could put it, or live according to God's word. In Titus chapter 2, verse 1 to 10, Paul gives instructions for proper living. And in fact, it's really interesting. He talks about instructions for older men. He talks about instructions for older women. He talks about instructions for younger women, for younger men, and even for slaves. He gives instructions on how they're to behave, how they're to live properly. And I'm just going to throw this out there right now. It's not politically correct to say this, but God only created two genders. Just that's a newsflash for some people. Yeah, uh, so as we understand Paul's instruction to Titus, he says, okay, the old men in the church need to act like this. The young men need to act like this. The old women need to do this. And the young men need to do this. He goes on to say this in chapter 3. Look at Titus chapter 3, verse 1 to 2, about proper living. Remind them to be submissive. How many of you enjoy being submissive? <laughs> how many of you have, how, how about this? How many of you have learned submission? It's, it's not the joy of our life or our day because we're individuals. We have our own opinion, our own desire, our own uh, path that we want to go on. But here it says this. Paul is telling Titus, he says, remind them, be submissive to rulers and authorities to be obedient. I like the results of being obedient, but I don't enjoy being obedient all the time, right? To avoid quarreling. So to be ready for every good work. He says there to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak no evil of anyone or to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and show perfect courtesy toward all people. So it seems to me like what he's saying is your behavior is a reflection of your spiritual condition. I'm going to say it again for those in the back or those online if you can't hear me. <laughs> your behavior is a reflection of your spiritual condition. I've met some people who call themselves believers. They don't act like believers. And we have that phrase. We say, could have fooled me. Yeah, well, fool me once, fool me. Okay, here we go. Behavior, it reflects who you really are. So this is what Paul is encouraging Titus when he says that they should be proper living. That there should be proper living evidenced in the body of Christ. So look at the contrast. I want you to think about this. The contrast of chapter 3 that we just read. And look at what the verse, uh, verse 16 of chapter 1 says. It says about those who are not living properly. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. 
We've got to remember that Paul is not making suggestions about proper living. He truly is making us understand that we have got to live right according to God's word. Going back to the whole correction thing, I would encourage you, I would even use a stronger word and say, I would ask you this week to read through the book of Titus and let the Holy Spirit help you understand the depth of its meaning. The things about correcting error and how Paul very strongly says, give them one time, two time, after that, get them out of there. It's a very serious thing. The things he's talking about are our life and the pattern of our life. These are very, very important. So they profess to know God, but they're disobedient and they're unfit. What a statement. I don't want to be in that category. Unfit for any good work. If you want to gauge the health of this church or any other church in the future, examine the lives of the believers in the church. Pastor, that sounds judgy. It is. You should look up judge in scripture and start reading so that you really understand that. We've preached on that before and we understand. You can judge the character of a person by seeing their behavior and then make a conscious choice of, I'm not going to befriend that person and spend time with them. Or, hey, this is a person I need in my life. But examine the lives of the believers in that church. If they're striving to live properly according to scripture mandates, then health is present. I believe health is present here in our church, and I'm very, very thankful. But if you are ever in a church where they allow, and God forbid that ever happened here, where they allow excuse after excuse and something that I call, well, it's a nice term, limitless grace. Uh, really what it is is sloppy grace. For those who aren't living biblically, then disease is present. So we've got to be able to have our eyes open to see because the church of Jesus Christ should look differently than the world, the immoral society around it. It's supposed to. Each one of us individually should, and together we should. And the fourth thing is this. Healthy churches have proper doctrine. Again, just to be clear, we can have differences of opinion on how to do church, on things like that. But we cannot have differences of opinion when it comes to whether or not Jesus Christ is the Son of God sent to save us, who died, rose from the dead, now lives in heaven and wants me to come to be with him. We can't differ on that or else we're not all believing the same thing. So proper doctrine, look at Titus chapter 3, verse 4 through 7. I love this. It's such a succinct clear statement of the gospel message. It says, but when the goodness, he he says in the first few verses there, we used to be like them. And then in verse four, he says this, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You could study those three, four verses 
and get so much meat and material out of that. It truly is the simplest understanding of what the gospel and good news is. It's the gospel in a nutshell. We as believers need to be part of a healthy church. You need to be part of a healthy church. And a healthy church definitely has proper doctrine. So God in his grace provided salvation to all who want it through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And Paul is telling Titus so that he understands this because he's telling, you've got to think like a Cretan for just a second. If it was honorable to be a pirate and to steal and to do, and the more and the bigger you did, the greater applause you got. Can you imagine what that person felt like when they heard that Jesus came to save them? They thought, well, I've got to do, do, do in order to earn his love or forgiveness or his grace. So, so when he's telling Titus this, the basis of our salvation is not human works, but God's mercy. It was a message that needed to be repeated over and over and over again. It still is repeated today, even in this church. It's not based, your salvation is not based on human works, but God's mercy. Let me take it one step further to be very, very clear. But the strength of your relationship with God hangs in the balance of what you do after you come to salvation. It really, truly does. So a healthy church is one that has corporately and individually those who center their life upon the gospel. To be gospel-centered is really what it means to be a healthy church. Sometimes we get into the whole uh, trap, which it is a, it's a trap, of us trying to do things that provide an atmosphere that is warm, inviting, welcoming, whatever, and then we even sing songs sometimes that are more focused on us than, than God. We might hear messages that are more focused on us than on God and his grace and his wisdom and his help. We've got to stay focused and be gospel-centered. The aim of Christ's work on the cross was not only to save you from hell. This is, this is the truth of the gospel. It was not only meant to save you from hell, as significant as that is. But it was also to remake you into God's own possession that could live with him, free from sin, and zealous for good works. Like being eager to do the things that he's calling us to do. And being free from sin in our lives. I wrote this, and I think this is a, a powerful statement. It's probably been said before by others in some way, shape, or form. But belief and behavior cannot be separated. They really cannot. You either believe it and behave like it, or you don't, and you won't. I know that wasn't great English, but did you get my point? You understand what I'm saying? You either believe it and then behave like it, or you don't believe it and then you don't behave like it. This is why proper doctrine is so important. It's also why the behavior, listen to me. It's also why the behavior of the opponents that Paul writes about expose them as people who truly do not know God. It's also why the elders of the church must be people that's marked by both 
good moral character, and devotion to the gospel. This is why, and it's so important. So I don't know about you, but I want to be part of a healthy church. Amen? Would you stand with me and worship team, would you come and join me? I've really enjoyed walking through this, uh, these three books of the Bible, First and Second Timothy and Titus, talking through what Paul's instructions to these leaders were and for their churches and the ministries that they were in. I think Paul's desire, and it was a good and righteous, godly desire, was that everywhere the gospel was presented, that there then would be a healthy church. I believe we have that desire too. But really what I was thinking this morning is, I don't know about you, but maybe there's a place in our lives where there's some spiritual unhealth. Maybe there are some symptoms in your life that have called you to notice that maybe there's some decay or some disease that's present. I really want us to just take these last few moments together and make a determination for ourselves. Make a conscious decision to commit to say two things. God, I want to be healthier than I am. And God, I'm going to help this church be healthy. If we can make those two commitments, literally, I think there's nothing that could stop it. In fact, it's said in scripture, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that's founded and strengthened and walking in the way of being a healthy church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. So would you close your eyes with me this morning and I just want to ask you or encourage you to lean into God's love this morning and ask for his help. If there is a, a place in your life that you feel is not healthy, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's something to do with a hurt that you've experienced inside the four walls of the church, maybe it's something outside of all of those things. But if you say there's something that the Holy Spirit's been kind of tugging on my heart, then give that to him this morning and just ask him for his help and his guidance in that because I want you and I believe God wants you to be a healthy believer and part of a healthy church. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the words that were penned so many years ago from Paul to Titus. I thank you for the knowledge of the scripture. Lord, I pray today that you would help us apply that knowledge to our hearts. Help us to be open and honest with ourselves in your presence and ask you for help. Lord, I thank you that the majority of Celebrate Church is healthy believers. I have no doubt about it, God. But I know that there are temptations and things that come our way that cause us to slip and slide off track. I pray today that you would help us with bold courage to make that choice to be healthier tomorrow than we are today. God, my prayer has always been that you would help me to pastor a healthy church. Lord, help celebrate church, be healthier in 2021 than it has been in any other time period. In the mighty name of Jesus.